You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton, Dylan Terriman, and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I am joined tonight by my co-host, Alex Varallo. Unfortunately, Dylan Terman will not be with us. Dylan Terman uh, was hit by a tornado. Well, not him personally, but uh, his, his, his local area down in the Carolinas. And uh, I believe a, power, a tree or, or something knocked down some, some power lines that knocked out his internet. So he has been... He has been uh, on an island for a couple of days now and was hoping to have things wrapped up and repaired by tonight. I believe it's actively being repaired as we speak, but uh, will not. we doubt it will be during the show. Of course, we told him to go ahead and, and call on in if, uh, if he's able to get reconnected. But in the meantime, let's get connected with our, our other host, Alex Varallo. Alex, how are you doing? Hey, Glenn. How are we doing? Good evening, Jet Nation. Yeah, doing all right, Alex. Uh, you know, that much closer to the draft. I feel like I did a good job of uh, as much as I've been watching prospects and, and, you know, finding as much information as I can on some of these guys. Um, I did a good job of not really looking at the days to count down how many days to the draft for a good week or so. I just so when I, when I saw the other day, I saw a pop-up on my Twitter. It might even be a couple of days ago. I don't even know how many days out we are now. Uh, but I saw things said 17 days and all the Last time I looked, it was like 24. So I did feel like I, I, I skipped a week um, by not checking every day. How many days? How many days? How many days? I just ignored that, focused on the prospects, and I uh, felt like I cheated a little. But, but thank goodness for that because, the, as is always the case, the draft talk is just – we are just at the point – I'll tell, I'll tell you this, Al. I don't know where you are in terms of and – and that's – one of our topics tonight is going to be what to do with pick 23. Um, so for me, without getting into names specifically at this point, 23, 34, two, both of those picks aren't, you know, not that far apart, especially 23, you know, cause it is that much earlier. I feel like there are so many options and the Jets have so many needs that I'm at the point where I feel like there are really only one or two things the Jets could do in that spot that would really upset me. Um, I don't want a D lineman, interior D lineman. You just don't need one. Um, mm-hmm. And, I, and, you know, as I've said before, I don't want a running back. Other than that, you know, barring special teams, everything else is on the table because you're going to take a quarterback at, one, at two. Um, and then if you want to go interior O-line, great. You want to go offensive tackle? Fine. You want to get an outside linebacker? Go for it. A corner? Grab one. Edge rusher? Okay. Like, there's, there's not a lot that, you know, maybe safety depending on who they get. Because I feel like you can get some good guys, you know, a little bit later. Um, you know, we've talked and we'll talk tonight about some of our favorite guys um, at each spot. But really, there's only a couple of things the Jets could do there that I think would be a, a bad idea. You know, of course, it's, uh, you know, whoever they take, it's a matter of is the guy going to pan out. But in terms of position, um, they have so many needs, so many spots that it's really going to be tough. And, and I, I change day to day. I'm like, it's got to be this. It's got, you know, for, forever I was saying it's got to be a corner or an edge or O-line. 
And then I kind of say, well, maybe it doesn't have to be Edge because, you know, they've got Lawson. They've got Quinn and Williams. They've got John Franklin Myers. They've got Sheldon Rankins. They've got enough guys to pressure the quarterback. So it's not the big need that it was. It's a need, but it's not that pressing need that it was. You know, so I, I just keep going. One day it's this, the next day it's that, and tomorrow it'll be something else. But it's, as long as it's not a running back or, or just a player they flat out do not need, um, I'm, I'm excited about what they can do at 23. Um, but, Alex, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, yep. I'm not sure what the heck happened with Blog Talk. I, I think it may have been the – because I think you got dropped, which I didn't realize. So you mm-hmm. called back in because I feel – I'm going off memory here. I feel like it's – you know, I've been doing this a few and years now. I feel like when I when called I back, back in <laughs> – yeah, I think I th- – because when you mentioned it to me after the fact that you called mm-hmm. in after getting dropped, I was like, I think I've done that a couple times. And when you do that, for whatever reason, it bumps – Whoever is the host, if you if you log back into Blog Talk while someone is already hosting after you've been booted, I think once it connects you, it boots the person that's hosting. So I wasn't on audio anymore, but you were, and I couldn't get back in. So anyway, anyway, that's that's what happened yep. last week. If you were listening, we didn't just decide to stop the show in the middle. Um, so we're gonna we'll go a little quicker this week because we have a couple of other topics to get to. But Alex, you can go yep. ahead and get the ball rolling for us. We're going to do the defensive yep. side of the ball right now. We're going to pick three guys that we think are at the top of the Jets' boards um, or who are the top guys at the, at the position, and then we'll go ahead and pick three guys who we like, who we think could be a fit um, in any particular round. You know, I, I, I'm sure I've mentioned a couple of guys I like who are kind of fifth, sixth, seventh-round prospects, but these are guys that I like. And, uh, Alex, go ahead and get the ball rolling for us, buddy. Yep. Okay. So, last week we finalized the offensive positions. Uh, I think we left off at tackle. So going to the defensive side of the ball, we're going to kick it off with edge. Um, as I see it from what I was looking at, I had Jalen Phillips, Kitty Paw, and Jason Owa as the uh, top three for, for my big board. Um, clearly um, different probably from some other people. And as far as like fits for the Jets, I, I could see Carlos Basham uh, fitting in here. I think that's somebody that you know we've all talked about. Uh, several times throughout the last few weeks. Uh, Gregory Rose, somebody that I had picked, and I believe in my first or second mock, and then Jeremiah Owosu. Um, I think Owosu might be um, the type of linebacker that, that might fit this Robert Sala defense. I'm not 100% sure, but I kind of feel like versatility, um, the more you can do, the the more use Sala could get from you. So, I kind of feel like, you know, that that's probably a name that we should, uh, you know, keep fresh in our minds come draft day uh, because, you know, with the way that these defense are running here, you got to be able to, you know, you can't just do one thing. you got to be able to stop the run, drop into zone, um, and, and give an occasional, occasional pass rush. So, And that's what I kind of feel that you can get from him, um, and I'd be fine with that pick, um, maybe even at 23 as we go to talk about that later tonight. All right. I know for me, uh, for me personally, there are guys who I think are supremely talented, but there are some questions there. Um, Jalen Phillips is one of them. I think he's one of the top guys in the class. He's got versatility. He looks great on film. But um, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, he's a guy who had some significant injury history, a guy who even retired at one point um, for a short yeah. time and came back and played great. But my goodness, uh, that's I mean, to draft a guy in round one with the 23rd pick who already has a retirement 
under his belt. Yeah. That scares me a little too much. Um, I, I read it some time ago. It was concussions. Was that correct? He, he, he had a few yeah. things, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and that was yeah, what it was. He, he kind of the injuries him. mounted, and he just uh, mm-hmm. sort of hung it up for a little while. Um, yeah, he, he actually got hit by a car while he was riding his moped his freshman year um, mm-hmm. and severely fractured his wrist. Um, the guy came out of the car, um, asked him if he was okay, saw his hand was bent in the wrong direction, and then hopped in his car and, and took off, apparently. Um, so he had major surgery on his wrist, and, and they had to remove mm-hmm. three bones in order to repair that. And apparently it was a pretty grueling surgery that he had to go in under the knife twice. And then right. when he came back, like you said, he kind of got you know stacked on with ankle, shoulder, and then some, a couple concussions. I mean, he yeah. was basically beat to a pulp. So he walked away, but then came back. Um and played at a pretty high level. So sorry to jump in on that one, Glenn, but uh No, yeah, that's, that's fine, that's really, fine. Like really I said, just, it was you know he crazy. was one of the guys I he was one of the earlier guys I read about and I just remember reading that there was this laundry list of injuries. And I, I mm-hmm. kinda stopped there. I was like, well, m- retired at in his, you know, early twenties. Then the the big one to me was the multiple concussions. And I thought yep. that that's just too much to take a guy in round one. Um, but a yeah. very talented player. You know, he looks great on film. But he plays just, like he's on think, fire. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a tough one. Um, K. Woody Pay out of Michigan. You know, super super. You know, physical guy, um, or the athletic, I should say. You know, his athleticism is off the charts. The type of guy that you would think a guy like Robert Sala could get the most out of. So that makes him really interesting. Um, and I think he's the guy who could be on the board. I think he's probably one of the better guys the Jets will have a shot at, or, you know, in, in recent years, the Jets just haven't really had a lot of good edge guys fall to them. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Jason Owa out of Penn State, that guy, I actually tweeted about him earlier. Another one, like, insane athleticism, but just the, you know, and I say all the time, like, you know, box scores and stat lines aren't the, you know, they don't tell the whole story. You know, you got to go after traits. But at the same time, um, you know, having zero sacks, that's, that's like, you have to do something. Like, if you're drafted, if you're drafting that guy, you're drafting him to get to the quarterback, and he didn't do that once this year. So that's too much of a red. You know, you, you tell me a guy gets three or four, like, okay, fine. You know, shortened season, maybe, you know, double teams, all this stuff, all these reasons you can come up with. But for zero, that's, uh, that, that's, that's the type of thing you draft that guy and you get zero again. How do you, as the GM, tell the owner, like, oh, there's no way we saw that coming? Like, yeah, it literally happened. Like, it, he ne- didn't mm-hmm. have a sack in his final year. Um, so that would scare me a little bit. Um, in terms of guys that I really like, who I would like to see the Jets make a run at, like I said, Phillips worries me a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind Pay at 23. Uh, I'm also, as I've said a few times on the show, I'm a big Ronnie Perkins guy out of Oklahoma. I think he's a, a guy, I think 23 maybe, well, probably is too early for him. But uh, Carlos Basham, who I think, I, I want to say Basham, um, might be the first guy I watched film on this year. And right away, I was like, oh, my God. And, and you know, I, I was curious if there was any relation to um, to uh, Terrell Basham, and there is not, mm-hmm. um, yeah. at least that I could find. Uh, Quincy Roche, he's a guy who seems to be dropping down, you know, a lot of these mock sites that rank players. I feel like he was much higher earlier in the offseason. Uh, I like his get-off. I like his bend. I think he can be a good player. So he's somebody I wouldn't mind seeing. And a, a wild card, uh, another guy I mentioned earlier, but this is a guy, zero sacks last year. 
uh, Hamilcar Rashid out of Oregon State, zero sacks in 2020, but he had 14 the year before that. And then just his production went to zero. So he's a guy who, while he had the zero sacks last year, there is some film to go back to and say, but he can get to the quarterback. What the heck happened last year? So as a, you know, as a mid-round guy, I wouldn't mind him there. Um, so that, that wraps up the, the edge guys, Alex. Who, who do you got next? Yep. All right. So we're going into linebackers here. Um, I had a really hard time ranking, putting these guys together in the top three, but I think, you know, a little help from TDN. Um, so with linebackers, I got Micah Parsons, Nick Bolton, and Zayvon Collins as my top three. Uh, to be honest with you, if, if one, like you said, if one of these guys ends up being available for our second first round pick, um, no, no grief from my end here. Cause these guys are all, they all do like a little bit of different things, but I, I really feel like these guys are going to be uh, some fun players to watch defensively um, on Sundays. And uh, as far as like fits for the Jets here, somebody that I talked about in one of my mock drafts, Patty Fisher, really like that guy in the later rounds. Um, somebody that, you know, I keep hearing a little bit more and more about Chaz Surratt. I don't know if you got to watch any of him, Glenn. Um, looks a little bit undersized for, you know, around, you know, 225 for a linebacker, but he can really hustle and move. Um, was actually pretty active behind the backfield, um, you know, with 22 and a half uh, tackles for a loss and, and 12 and a half sacks with the linebacker position, a couple interceptions. So he's an active player out of uh, North Carolina. Um, I think he's probably going to be one of those those midday, maybe day three kind of guys that, you know, you, you, you take and, and, you know, people will say there's a lot of value with that. So I really like Chad Surratt. And another guy, Dylan Moses, um, just another guy that comes from, you know, a great school, um, you know, playing in the uh, Alabama defense and just, I mean, when you when you think about Alabama, you know players, you know you get all the the bells and whistles with them, all American and five star athletes and things like that. I just think that he's just um, one of those guys that will just come in, grab like a lunch pail kind of guy, come in, do his job, you know, kick the snot out of people, and and then you know um, be burning in midnight oil as well. Just one of those guys with great work that work ethic. Uh, so I wouldn't mind him, you know, falling to the Jets either. Yeah, so um, I agree. I, some of those names are, are guys I was going to mention. Um, agree with Parsons. I, him, Micah Parsons and Zayvon Collins are the two guys I keep flipping. You know, who would I have? Who would I have at the top of my list? I like both of those guys. But Collins, just love Collins' versatility. The plays he make, he can play inside, he can play outside, makes plays as a, in pass coverage, um, sort of does it all. Uh, Jameen Davis out of Kentucky, he's a guy who has been flying up draft boards over the last few weeks. Um, I mm-hmm. saw somebody not long ago run a mock where they had him in the third round. And I'm like, this guy, like, literally, I think the day before that, um, I'd heard that his name is being thrown around um, by the Cowboys as a first-round pick um, at 10. Um, I don't think there's any way that guy's there in the third round. I think he goes in the top sort of, uh, you know, top 35, if not, you know, if not top 15. Um, really good player. Uh, you mentioned Chaz Surratt. Chaz Surratt, if you, for those who've been listening to the show, um, and having said Basham was the, one of the first guys I watched, I remember now I was watching uh, Basham and Sage Surratt, both Wake Forest guys, Sage Surratt, the wide receiver, brother of mm-hmm. Chaz Surratt. Um, Sage Surratt I've cooled on a little bit because he's, he's one of those like 
really dependable, you know, great hands, uses his body well. But I just I wasn't seeing enough separation on film that I started to worry. I was like, I you know, is, is am I just really high on this guy because he's one of the first players I watched and I was impressed early. Um, ran a terrible forty. I don't remember what it was like in the high four sixes. I think, and that kind of like I'm not saying I wouldn't want the guy, but no, like initially I was thinking maybe maybe second third round. Now I wouldn't. He'd probably be a day three guy for me. Um, but that's but his brother Chaz Surratt. Now what makes him so interesting, Alex? You talked about his production. You talked about him getting the backfield. You know the twenty however many tackles for loss. He's only play, he's only been playing linebacker for a couple of years. He went to North Carolina mm-hmm. as a quarterback. Um, yeah, played a couple crazy, seasons at quarterback, yeah. didn't play well enough. They moved him to linebacker. So this guy's raw. Like, hadn't played the position. Yeah. They moved him to linebacker, and he gets like a million tackles, and he's in the backfield constantly. Mm-hmm. So I look at him, and I'm like, this guy is, is just scratching the surface. Like, he's not mm-hmm. – he's, he's literally learning how to play the position and getting 100 tackles while he's doing it. So I really yeah, like Surratt well. for that reason. What's that? Yeah, and, and, you know, like you said, inexperienced, but doing it well. Yeah, exactly. When you when you have a guy that's playing at that level um, early on, despite having not played the position before, um, you know, I'm I'm all for someone like that. I think he I think he's actually sort of a you know top three round guy, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, Derek Barnes out of Purdue, I like. I actually took him in one of our mocks. Charles Snowden, I like. Um, honestly, it, the thing that jumps out at me that he can play in the middle. You know, he can play uh, a little bit on the outside. The guy's six six. Um, with some with long limbs, like he's a guy who could be a disruptive guy um, in coverage and and up at the line of scrimmage. Garrett Wallow, Wallow, like you know, you mentioned Patty Fisher, who you know we've mentioned, we've all mentioned several times. I think we all like him. Um, I yeah. kind of you know was watching. This is when I was watching Inside Linebackers weeks ago, maybe even a couple months ago, and uh, I was actually watching Garrett Wallow first, and I really liked him, and then Patty Fisher kind of bumped him for me, and then I went back and forth on them for a while. So Garrett Wallow from TCU, I think, doesn't get enough uh, enough love. He may be slightly undersized. You know, NFL guards get a hold of him. He may struggle there, but if he bulks up a little bit, gets a little stronger. Uh, very instinctive guy. He's one of those players just, you know, had 10 million tackles in college. So he's a guy that I like at that spot, um, along with Surratt and some of those other guys I mentioned. Nice. All right, so this will take us to the cornerback position. And, um what I have here, and, and it, again, you can mix this any way you please. Um, you know, I have J.C. Horn, uh, Caleb Farley, and Greg Newsom as my top three. Um, you know, I, I, I've i been thinking about this, and I kind of feel like maybe Patrick Sertain um, deserves to be in the top three just due to Farley's uh, medical situation um, because he probably, between him and Horn, depending on – you know, what team likes, you know, player X for this team or whatever. Um, so that'll be interesting to see where Sertain goes. He definitely is, uh, I guess, honorable mention here. Uh, but for the Jets fits here, somebody that I've been kind of keeping my eye on that I like is Eric Stokes out of Georgia. Um, the page to you. Uh, but last year he played at a very high level. Um, you know, only had like four interceptions, but two of them he took to the house. So this is clearly somebody that, you know, you have to be careful um, if you think that, you know, you can sneak one by him and, he, and he's not paying attention. you got to make sure that you put it in a good spot where he can't get it because, you know, he could just take it right back to the house. Um, Paulson Adebo, somebody that we've talked about at length on this show, 
And then somebody that has, um, you know, a little bit of uh, history in the NFL, and that's Asante Samuel Jr. He got pedigree there. Um, you know, his father was pretty successful in the NFL. So, you know, who better to learn from about the game? A lot of people label him as a uh, potential nickelback corner. And to be quite honest with you, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, those are starting positions in the NFL. And right now, nickelback corner, in my opinion, is definitely a need. So if you can, you know, grab somebody second round, maybe third round, and Asante Samuel Jr. is there um, with potential starting, you know, caliber there, I think that that's a really good value pick uh, for the Jets. Yeah, I like that. The more I look at this corner class, the more I'm finding guys who I think could can you know be developed and become starting level players. You know, maybe not day one, um, but yeah, the, the top three, the top three for me, um, Sertain, Horn, Newsom, and that's you know Farley would be up there. The injuries are a concern, you know, but you know as we've talked about, I'd probably take the guy at 23 if he falls that far. Like he's he's that good that he's worth that gamble. Um, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I'm excluding him because just because we don't know extent of his injuries, um, early on Horn was my favorite guy in the class. Uh, Newsom kind of snuck up on him in the last, last few weeks, the more of him I've seen, but certain's a good one. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr. is another one. Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky. I heard a lot of talk about him. Honestly, haven't watched yeah. a ton of him. Um, and I heard he's I just, pretty tenacious. Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't, I, and maybe I just haven't watched enough of him, but the little bit I've watched, I've come away thinking good, but I would, I would have, a, you know, a few, quite a few guys ranked ahead of him. Um, but in terms of like a little bit later in the draft, you mentioned, you, you mentioned the Debo, who we really like, uh, Melifonwu out of Syracuse, whose brother was drafted a few years ago as a safety, is another good player. Um, I was watching earlier, uh, Keith Taylor out of Washington, uh, no interceptions, which worries me. Like you gotta get, you gotta get the ball at some point. But he's got some good film. He's got some good film out there. Um, watch, watch a couple of his games. Watch the full game against Stanford, um, and hoping to watch a couple more games of his coming up. And Trill Williams out of Syracuse, another guy I like. Really good size. Ambry Thomas out of Michigan, who uh, you know some project as an eventual starting corner, and of course Cameron Bynum, who I've. You know, I mocked and and uh, we spoke with Emery Hunt about a few weeks ago. Those are some of my top guys at corner, and you know, a few yeah. guys that it. I I don't know. I, maybe I'm maybe it's just wishful thinking because I'm kind of, you know, thinking the Jets might just go O line O line O line early on and have to find a corner late. So I'm starting to look at those guys like if, you know if they pass on a corner in the, with their first three or four picks, who who can they get? And I'm looking at okay. Maybe Trill Williams, maybe maybe a Paul from Adebo. I mean, Adebo is probably my favorite guy because, like I said, he's a guy that I noticed a couple years ago watching a Stanford game, and I really liked him um, and liked everything I watched on him after that. So uh, some some mid mid round guys who I think could be decent players if the Jets pass on a you know one of the top flight guys early on. Right on. Do you want to cover safeties, or do you want to move to twenty the pick twenty three talk? Um, you know, I'll just throw out a couple names at safety. Safety's a position I, I, again, honestly, I haven't paid a great deal of attention to, even though the Jets need one. And this is a deep class um, from the guys I've looked at. It is. Um, yeah. It really is. Uh, Trevin Morig seems to be 
the consensus top guy, uh, Javon Holland. Jamar Johnson, mm-hmm. I've not watched a great deal of. Richie Grant, who I know you love, you know, super versatile. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, I like these guys, but I just, I'm, I'm, I'm done picks going on safeties. Used a third round run one last year on Ashton Davis. Right. And I'm, listen, I, that, like, that pick was my least favorite at the moment it was made. Like, it pissed me off that they took another safety. But then I cooled down a little bit because I'm hearing all these experts say he has the athleticism to play corner. I'm like, all right, well, if that's the plan, if they think he can be a cornerback, I can live with that. Clearly, that's not the plan. They used another premium pick on a guy who just plays safety. Um, I mean, yeah, he'll, he'll probably move around. He'll be in the box a little bit, but you know what I mean. He's a safety. Like, how many, how many, top, how many top picks, you know, top three rounds are we going to use on safeties? I don't want to see it again. I don't think it'll happen again, uh, but I wouldn't rule it out. I would like to see. Yeah, Jet's going to Jet. Yeah, I would like to see. Uh, if, if I'm going to grab a safety, I would I would like to see if you can get uh, Andre Cisco in sort of the fourth round, um, and not use another another pick in the top three rounds. Caden Stearns out of Texas, not as con- what's that? Yes, and go for value instead. Yeah, yeah. Enough with these, you know, these these top picks where you need O line, you need corners, you need guys who can get to the quarterback. You need well, receiver isn't as much as we need now, obviously. But uh, yeah, mm. I, I don't want to see a safety before the fourth round. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. You know, obviously, um, between our conversations um, and our chat board, you know, Richie Grant is definitely somebody I'd pound the table for. This is just one of those scenarios to where, you know, they just signed Bennett Jackson the other day. So you have him on the roster. Then you have Ashton Davis. We have LaMarcus Joyner. And we have uh, Marcus May. So right now you, you have four safeties in-house, Um we know May is fine. You know, we, we can definitely confirm today that May is going to be a starter, um, but we really just don't know if he's going to be our strong safety or if he's going to be the free safety. You know, all the other guys seem to be, uh, you know, Bennett Jackson's more of a special teams guy, so I don't foresee him cracking the starting lineup. So now you're talking about Davis and Joyner. Who's going to play the strong safety role? Um, you know, so maybe the Jets do have, the you know, strong safety higher on their board than we anticipate here. Uh, so, you know, safety will probably be one of those positions that we may not um, be anticipating, you know, early on, you know, maybe day two or something like that. Um, and we might be surprised like we were with the Ashton Davis pick. Yeah, listen, you know, they've, they've done it a million times in years past, the Jets grabbing guys that aren't necessarily positions of need or aren't positions, you know, that rank in terms of uh, positional value whether it's Leonard Williams or Jamal Adams or, you know, even Marcus May, second rounder, who's a good player, don't get me wrong. But, and you know, I, I think and I, I think I said this to someone recently, Alex, um, you know, I'm not going to be one of these doom and gloomers who, who rips every pick and every move and blah, blah, blah. But I, I think I've certainly been far too optimistic in the past. And, like, even when, I, even when I see a pick that doesn't make sense, I try to look at it from the team's perspective. And say, okay, this doesn't make sense to me, but here's what they must be thinking. Um, and I just I see these picks that, you know, we saw it so much with Idzik and McCagnin and just zero awareness of positional value, not building the O line, drafting guys like Calvin Pryor in the first round. Um, you know, it's just it, I'm like enough already. Like I'm a big enough fan. I think I, I I'm not gonna rip guys day one. Uh, but I'm also not going to try to find a way in my mind 
to, to justify. Like, LaMichael P. Ryan was a dumb pick from the moment it was made up until today and probably always will be. Uh, Ashton Davis, I honestly I don't know what to think. James Morgan, to me, I, I wouldn't have made that pick there. You know, I, I, can, I, I saw him as being a fifth-round guy, maybe. Um, but there were just so many other needs and so many other guys who were ready to start day one. Like, you literally, you drafted a guy who you know is always, who will never be better than a second-round quarterback or a second-string quarterback, and, and you left starting wide receiver and starting O-lineman on the board. Um, it, you know, again, you know, we've said a million times, such a deep receiver class, you took one receiver. There are seven, eight, nine receivers who, as rookies, did more than, than Morgan probably will do, you know, in the next five years. Um, so... I'm I'm not going to be as as lenient or as forgiving, you know. If they're do, if it, if the pick doesn't make sense, the pick doesn't make sense, and and picking safeties and and interior D linemen and running backs early on is just a dumb move. And and hopefully uh, hopefully we don't we don't see any of that from Joe Douglas, you know, come this you know come draft day this year. Yes, indeed. And uh, that should bring us to our next topic of conversation, uh, which is going to be pick 23. And what are the Jets going to do? Um, Glenn, I mean, at this point, we we know we're going quarterback at two. So um, would you say that maybe pick 23 might be like where the draft kind of starts for the Jets on where they're going to build moving forward? Because we're, we all know that, you know, there's probably going to be, you know, Wilson is probably going to be the guy. You know, maybe Fields might be up there too, but we, we really don't know. The Jets are going to go see his second pro day tomorrow, so maybe they're just doing diligence here. But I kind of feel like the draft starts at pick 23, and like you said, the Jets can go in so many directions because they have so many different holes here. And, you know, do you go BPA? Do we go for the corner? Do we do for, for you know, go for the offensive line? Um, you know, do we want to bolster up our defense? And if there's a good pass rusher there, do we continue to, you know, put more headhunters in solid defense? I mean, there's so many different directions that we can go. And, you know, like you said, even though a lot of people don't like it, you know, in a crazy world where, you know, maybe there's a, a Travis Etienne or a Najee Harris on the board, maybe both of them are sitting there at 23. Um, really, really tough to sit there and say, like, why wouldn't we want to give our new young quarterback, you know, a stud running back that he can blossom with? Um, you know, but again, you know, that, that kind of defies the narrative of what you're supposed to do in the first round. Um, so, you know, I go back and forth every day, and each day I have a different position or a different player that I want to put into into this 23 pick here. And, uh yeah, it's just – I'm just curious. You know, if I could be a fly on the wall in, uh, on one Jets drive, you know, I'm curious on what they're thinking at 23. Yeah, for me, Alex, it's uh, my, my flavor of the week anyway, um, and I messaged you and Dylan about this. Uh, I understand, you know, like running back, I'm not, I'm not on board with the 23. I don't know if you saw that tweet I sent out earlier, uh, the 49ers depth chart when Robert Sala – and, uh, and Michael Floor went to the Super Bowl with the 49ers. Um, their top four running backs, one of them was a free agent addition, and the other three were undrafted free agents. Um, so if you're going to tell two guys who have, uh, you know, the severe lack of talent 
that you're going to use a first-round pick on a position that they went to the Super Bowl with a bunch of guys who weren't even drafted. Um, I think that's going to be a hard sell. I think they're going to say, you know, we'll find a guy later in the draft. Uh, but we'll see. Event- ultimately, it'll be Joe Douglas's call. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But for me, the, the guy that I'm loving right now, who I, would, who I would really like to see at 23, and, you know, people, people don't like it because uh, the fact that, you know, he was injured a couple years ago, opted out last year. But I'm looking at Walker Little out of Stanford, who uh, some people think, oh, he's a, he's a day two pick. He's a day three pick. He didn't play last year. He hurt his knee the year before that. Listen, coming out of high school, he was the top-rated offensive lineman in the country. If you look at his film at Stanford before he got hurt, the guy was dominant. The guy's footwork is fantastic. He mirrors defenders, you know, at, at, at a very high level. I, I think it was it – was, um, I can never remember the guy's name. Oh, what, I think I just remembered his name. Was it Mike Renner? Is that his name? Uh, yeah. At uh, PFF, like a month or so ago, I heard him saying, you know, why isn't Walker Little being talked about as a first-round pick? And I thought, eh, yeah. like, I, I, like PFF stuff is sort of like in my peripheral. Like I don't rely on them heavily for info. But it it just kind of put a bug in my ear, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to, you know, take a close look at that guy down sometime down the road. And mm-hmm. I did last week, and I was like, wow, I, I thought this guy he really does belong in that conversation as a first round pick, um, you know. And, and then I you know start doing some poking around and see you know are there any other sort of highly thought of talent evaluators who think he's a first round pick? Um, because that uh, to me, again I'm looking at him thinking this guy looks like a first to me, um, and I think it was sort of Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, had an old tweet where he said he was a first-round. I think it was when he opted out. said, you know, it's a shame this guy's opting out. He's a first-round talent. Um, so found a couple of mock drafts. You know, one, of course, PFF. PFF loves him. I think he's their 24th-ranked player. Um, or they had him going. They had him getting drafted with a 24th pick. Uh, found a mock earlier that had him going at 26 or 27. So there are a few publications. There are a few major outlets who see him as a top 25 guy. And I know the Jets have George Fant, but I just look at Walker Little, and I'm like, this is... I kind of look at Walker Little and Caleb Farley, because those are the two guys, they're in the same boat. They both play premium positions. High reward. They're exactly. Like, like I probably wouldn't, if not for the fact that this is their second one. Like, if they didn't have the second pick, and you're only getting one shot at a first rounder, I'd be like, ah, it's a little too rich. Like, you can't do that. you got to hit on that first rounder. But the fact you're getting a quarterback at two, and then you have a chance not only to address a premium position, um, but address one with a, with a guy, if it's either guy, who is a first round of top ten talent, in, at least in the eyes of some people. Um, and so that's where I'm at. And listen, I know, oh, we have George Fant. It, to me, and I, I tweeted this, um, uh, I don't know how long ago, weeks, months, whatever, and, and people, like, jumped all over me. Up, and I don't, I don't get the mindset. Everyone's like, why are you going to do Because I said, I said, if, if the opportunity presents itself, if you're the Jets, do you draft a right tackle and then trade George Fant for, a, you know, a mid or late round pick? And everyone's like, oh, we don't need a right tackle. Why, why are you addressing a need, we, a position we don't need? And I'm like, but you're you're upgrading and adding a draft pick. Like, shouldn't that be better to say like, Oh, fans good. And I'm like, I get it. I get that fans good, but I'm saying you're getting a player who is better than Fant and adding a draft pick. Like, where is the downside there? But everyone is so insane. It's it's almost like they think I'm saying 
let's sign another free agent who is on par with fans and keep both of them. That would be stupid. You would be throwing right. money away, not addressing a need, not getting better, and, and eating up cap space. Like, that'd be dumb. But improving at the it's, position and adding a draft pick, to me, would be a no-brainer. So, you know, and again, it'll probably change tomorrow. But I, I want Little or I want Farley or I want interior line or I want an edge guy. Those, those are my priorities. Um, you know, I mentioned, right. I mentioned K. Woody Fay, how, you know, he's a guy on the edge who I would like. And, um, and we'll see how it goes. But listen, folks, if you haven't watched Walker Little, uh, do yourself a favor. Uh, watch the, the Northwestern game. That was a game he was eventually injured in and left and missed the rest of the season. But that's his most recent game. Uh, uh, Notre Dame from a couple years ago, he was really impressive. So I'm, I'm really liking him. And I just and there's also, I've mentioned this a couple times this offseason, Alex. Um, of course, hoping it's only a fluke. But, but uh, Makai Becton missed a lot of time last year. Like a lot. Mm-hmm. He, 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 yep. played eight, he played eight complete games. And now there were a couple where he played like all but two or three snaps. But even if you take those away, he missed like six games. Part of it, listen, it might have been Adam Gase's stupidity putting him back in a game or, you know, when he was hurt and he shouldn't yep. have been playing. I get that. But the fact of the matter remains, he was injured, didn't appear in several games. And listen, we love the guy because he's a great story. He's as big as a house. But we don't know yep. that that won't be detrimental in the end. Like, is he going to be an injury-prone guy? You get Walker Little and Beckton misses time again. Now you have a top-level left tackle who can move over. And even if, you, you know what, you want to keep George Fant as a swing backup, do that. Uh, I'm fine with that. I'm just, I'm just saying upgrade at the position, make the O-line better, put yourself in a position to have a guy who you can just slide into left tackle who's a first-round talent if the guy you took last year gets hurt. And, uh, that, you know, again, this would be my, my top choice at 23. And, again, which, which may change. I know some people are talking about some of the other tackles out there, Tevin Jenkins. Um, and, you know, he's you know, a guy that people, people feel he can play guard. I'd be fine with that. Like, just, just build a wall around this next quarterback. Um, and, you know, you know I took Greg Newsom in my last mock. I'd be fine with that. Mm-hmm. Like, there are a lot of guys there. Zabin Collins, who you guys took in the first mock. I would gladly take mm-hmm. him. Um, so, yep. yeah, plenty of options at 23. And I think uh, for me at the moment, it's get me, the, get me the elite tackle or the elite corner who can step in and start day one. Yeah, I think that that's kind of where I'm at, too. Uh, between 23 and 34, I think they're tied together in the manner where if you have the availability to get a good cornerback at 23 – then it's almost like you have to go offensive line in 34. Um, you know, that's just kind of the way I see it because we haven't done enough to improve from what we did last year. We brought in some backups at the offensive line. It looks like we're keeping the same guys that we had at the tackle position, which was Connor McDermott and Chuma um, Adoga as our backups at this point. And we saw the quality of play that we got from them when they had to come in in a pinch, and it wasn't pretty. I'm not trying to be negative about them, but, you know, some guys, they are who they are, and these guys are backups, and that's where they kind of belong, and you kind of don't want to see them in a starting role because that means something bad happened. And, you know, you brought up that Beckton situation. Nothing was more alarming to me when he left that game with a chest injury, and it turned out that, you know, he lost his wind and 
there was nothing heart related, but he just that one was wasn't that one the breathing. headache. I don't. I thought it was he had trouble breathing or something. But like you said, when we talk about how big of a guy he is and you know how much weight he has on his body, I mean, you know, it could almost be unhealthy for him to to be carrying that much weight. So, you know, these are things that I, I think that when we were talking last year. Um, who wouldn't who wouldn't want a mountain of a man protecting your quarterback? But at the same time, you know there are some consequences that come with players that are that big. So, uh, yeah, getting somebody, you know, even though we we really could use some improvements at the guard positions, like you said, if there's like a Walker Little Little available and the Jets have him, because you know when I was doing mock drafts like a week ago, he was like available, you know, fourth fifth round you know, value pick, you know, let him recover, heal up, and then you can deploy him maybe in year two. Now it's starting to see him, you know, climbing up the boards here um, because a lot of players that opted out or missed out due to COVID last year um, not be getting the recognition that they deserve because there's no film on them. So, you know, this is going to be a very, very odd draft to where, you know, you'll you'll see players that are talked about very high but slide down just because, you know, people haven't seen them play in two years. And, and that might carry weight going into draft night. So, uh, you know, for me, not going to be upset if we go a line at 23. Not going to be upset if we go for cornerback. Um, I might, you know, depending on who the pick is at 23 for edge position, uh, because, like I said in, earlier, I'm not crazy about this this edge class. There's nobody that, you know, there's no Chase Youngs or there's no Nick Bosa's or Miles Garrett or things like that. So uh, I feel like a lot of these players that come from the pass rushing position because it's such a valued position of need across the board in the NFL that teams tend to reach on guys just to get a pass rusher that may or may not, like, pan out. Um, and I don't want to be stuck in one of those positions. Um, let's build in the trenches so that, you know, we can keep our quarterback upright before we decide to take a chance on the pass rusher because the way I'm seeing this defense unfold, we're going to be running a lot of four-man fronts, and I kind of feel like the D-line is already set in place. So, uh, you know, what are we going to be looking at as far as the other positions in the tackle box? You know, if you're going to be running – a four-man front, that means you're probably carrying two, maybe three linebackers. So what's the scenario? Do we want run stoppers? Do we want zone guys? Do we want one pass rusher with two other balanced guys? Um, are we going to be running three safety sets? So there's always going to be two linebackers on the field and more defensive backs, you know, four or five defensive backs at a time. Um, you know, we don't know how this is all going to shake loose. So as much as edge rusher, you know, people pound for the table for and say, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. Uh, we really don't know how this defense is going to unfold. And, you know, we might be seeing uh, more smaller, quicker guys, more cover guys on the field um, than we will seeing like, you know, the headhunters. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll find out sooner than later. Yeah. And that, you know, that that's just the whole thing of it is the, is the number of options they have. Like you said, the, you know, one of the things you said that I I wholeheartedly agree with is the reaching for pass rushers. And I get it when you don't have one, you got to get one, and you got to get the best guy available. But are you you don't want to grab a guy who's just no, nowhere? You know, not every guy's going to be 
even projected to be worth his draft slot. But a lot of these guys, I don't think would project anywhere near the 23rd best player. Um, you know, what some guys are interested, Aziz Ojolari, interesting guy. You know, long guy, gets the quarterback. But, you know, what's he weigh, like 240, 245? That worries me a little bit. Whereas with a guy like Basham, probably the biggest guy in this class, um, who's going to come off the edge or, you know, play the end or wherever you line him up and, and get to the quarterback. Um, I, I think he's a great fit. But, you know, I look at some of the receivers, too. You know, there's only a couple guys like Jalen Waddell isn't falling to 23. Devontae Smith probably isn't falling to 23. But I look at, like, a Rashad Bateman, and I'm like, he's sort of on in that, that area where, again, because of the fact that we saw it last year, we saw it this year, and I think it's going to be sort of the trend over the next few years, is drafts are going to be flooded with receivers. Like, that's where these the young, like the most athletic kids, that's where these kids are are gravitating to. And, you know, you can look at this and say, do we take a Rashad Bateman at 23 if we think we might be able to grab a Kadarius Tony at 34? Or, you know, I, I saw somebody, one of the good morning football guys had Rondale Moore to the Jets at 23. Now, I love Rondale Moore. And, again, he's kind of electric. It's sort of like what I say with ATN. Like, I actually would prefer more to ATN, but I wouldn't want either with that pick. But would you? Could you get mad about having that guy in your roster? You know, no way. The guy, you know, he looks like he's going to have the ability to be a game changer. And there are obviously those who feel like he's going to be in play at twenty three. Uh, you know, it's I don't know. It, it's going to get interesting, Alex. A ton of needs, tons of guys who can who can meet those needs, and the, the Jets are going to have quite a few options, quite a few choices um, to pick from. Uh, But speaking of which, uh, when it comes to things to pick from, if you're a business owner and you're trying to pick somebody to help you manage all of your social media platforms, look no further than Jet Nation Radio's sponsor, Mile Social. That's M-I-L-E social.com. Mile Social, check them out. Go to their website. If you're a small business owner, medium-sized business owner, large business owner, but you just don't have the time to manage all of your social media platforms because, I mean, listen, folks, this is the way it is nowadays. If you're not on social media, if you're not advertising out there, you're not getting people's eyeballs on you on social media, on their, their smartphones, their laptops. That's how people, you know, everyone does their searches to find out where they should buy what, and that, that's what's driving businesses. Mile Social will take a look at your business. They'll take a look at your platforms and advise you on how best to, to run your TikTok, your Twitter, your Instagram, your Facebook, whatever it may be. Get more customers through your doors, more dollars in your pockets. That is Mile Social. Check them out online to find out what they can do for you. That's M-I-L-E Social, MileSocial.com. Give them a look, folks. So, uh, yeah, so Alex, look, pick 23, a lot of drama. That is where the draft starts for the Jets. I know the Jets are going to Justin Fields' pro day. Um, I'd be shocked. You know, I've, I've said it a million times. I'd be shocked if he's the guy. Um, yeah. Shout out, that, shout out that tweet earlier. What, what I forget. The, he was like 30 points higher. Uh, Zach Wilson's, um, what was it, tight window accuracy was 30 points higher than Justin Fields, like like off the charts. And I think, you know, part of what hurts Justin Fields, and this is where it's interesting, is that he does – and it's not even his fault. Like, if you tell two guys, go out there and play quarterback, and one of them, like, just consistently has guys open by 15 yards, that's not his fault. Like, what's he supposed to do? wait for someone to yeah. get there to cover the guy to prove he can make a, a tight throw like that that would right. be idiotic so all justin fields is doing is going out there and doing his job and playing football and doing it at a high level and getting to the national championship game 
So I get that you can't hold that against him, but I feel the same way with Wilson. You can't hold against him the fact that he's playing low-level competition because he's got low-level teammates. You know, he's got a couple guys who right. will, you know, get drafted, but he doesn't have yeah. Chris Olave. You know, he doesn't have, right. you know, there's no second or third stringer on BYU who's going to be a mid-round draft pick um, the way yeah. you get it, OSU. He doesn't so, have a Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. <laughs> you know, yeah, and, exactly. At his leisure, you know. Yeah, exactly. But that's the interesting thing to me, though. I didn't think about this until today, actually, when I heard, um, uh, who was it? I heard somebody... Somebody talking about Mac Jones, and um, I'm thinking, well, you don't really hear the comparison being made, but to me, Mac Jones to Justin Fields is the far better comparison because these are guys who played on stacked, loaded teams with just talent out, you know, coming out their ears. And mm-hmm. uh, and Mac Jones, I mean, I forget the final score. I think Mac Jones, you know, beat Fields by like 30 points or something in the national championship game. Um, yeah, I would still take Fields over Mac Jones. Fast. Yeah, I would I would still take Fields over Jones every day of the week, um, but when I hear these and and that's some of these arguments, I want to touch on that real quick. Um, yep, because some of it drives me up the wall. Um, you know, comparing this guy to that guy again, com- Fields to Wilson is such a ridiculous comparison. They may as well be playing two different sports. Like one of the guys is playing with a bunch of dudes who, like I've said before, a couple of them will get an NFL invite. Three of them might get drafted. You know, a couple of them, the linemen, the center, the, 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 the left tackle, Christensen, Dax Milne will go, you know, fourth, anywhere from the fourth. I've seen him mock from the fourth round to the seventh round. Like, yep. so, yes, Zach Wilson has two or three guys on his roster who will get drafted anywhere from round three to round seven. Um, Justin Fields has about 100 guys who are going to go in the top four rounds. Um you know, oh, they had to play Alabama, and they had to play Clemson. All right, well, they got their doors blown off by Alabama. Um, and they, they had some powder puffs on their schedule. If you compare just talent to talent, like, to me, beating, you know, uh, I'm trying to think who I watched fields against the other day. Like Rutgers? Or I'm like, so, so I'm supposed to be blown away because this guy just loaded with five-star talent? steamrolled Rutgers, but I'm not supposed to be excited about Zach Wilson, who, you know, is playing on a marginal football team and beats another marginal football team. Like, he, he's almost got to be perfect because he doesn't have the talent. Like, Justin Fields can throw 10 incomplete passes and still win by 35. Um, Zach Wilson's got to be nearly perfect because of the fact that he doesn't have that, that, degree, that, that, that leeway to work with. But, but again, you know, the, oh, who did he play? It's not as if Justin Fields played Alabama every week. You know, every few weeks he would play a top-level team, and his guys would more often than not be wide open, and he would do his job. Again, not his fault. He didn't make the schedule. He didn't build the rosters for the other team. He's just going out there playing the game. Um, so both great players. I'd be happy with either one, but it's it's the numbers. It's the you know as I said before the 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 overall accuracy. I've had people tell me on Twitter. And someone just a few minutes ago, oh, is that his, his receivers are constantly having to stop and adjust and, and reroute because the, he's so inaccurate. And he completed 73% of his passes? Like, he's wildly inaccurate, but he completed 73%? And, and he's going to be a top three pick? Like, if any of the, the criticisms I was hearing of him were true, he would be an undrafted free agent. Like, that would be that. Um, but that's not the case. Um, but, 
But these crazy parallels where people, oh, look, look at this guy who did this thing and Zach Wilson. And if Justin, either guy, any guy. You know, I, I, when I see people post, like, one pass, oh, look at this bomb this guy threw. Listen, I'm sure if I took 10 seconds to look up Jamarcus Russell at LSU, I'd find a very similar throw. Like, one or two throws against one or two big teams isn't, doesn't make up a body of work. And you don't draft a guy based on a couple of throws or a couple of good games. You're four verts every play on yeah. third down. You know, you're not yeah, just exactly. airing it out. Like, you're just not going to do that. Yeah, and you know, and the progressions thing. Justin Fields is absolutely going through his progressions. Uh, anyone who says he's not is an yeah, idiot. Yeah, it's so silly but at, how that. I don't know. But how at the same time, you know, they bo- both guys have outstanding offensive lines. You know that that we can agree that they both have plenty of time to throw. Difference being, you know, Justin Fields knows by the time I get to my fourth guy, I'm going to have at least one dude who's got ten yards of separation. Like I just have to find that guy. Whereas right. with Zach Wilson, it's like. You know, it's going to be a sort of standard, all right, I'm going to have a guy who's open, and by open I mean a couple of steps on a guy, a step and a half, anywhere from that to, like, a dude in his back pocket. And I'm going to have to put it on the spot to get, him, to get the ball to him. Um, and, yes, I will say now, I realize that because of all this praise for Zach Wilson that I am giving, he'll probably bust. I get it. But I just I, – I don't, I don't see how he's not the pick there. But some of the criticisms that I see of Fields, of Wilson – are just ludicrous. Um, you know, Absolutely. Fields doesn't go through his progressions. Yes, he does. Wilson's receivers are always open. No, they're not. Wilson, uh, you know, Wilson's guys, or w- Wilson plays a weak schedule. Not his fault. Uh, you know, Fields' team is always, you know, so much better. Not his fault. You know, I- I've said that, but I'm saying it in, in relation to, as I've said before, the, the-, the-, the room he has to work with. Um, to but me, that's a valid, and not even a criticism. You shouldn't even touch uh, Trevor Lawrence because, I mean, Clemson is one of the best yeah, teams Clemson's in the loaded. nation. So why would you go to pick a quarterback where everybody's, you know, you know, all Americans and, and five star athletes? You know, it just yeah, it doesn't doesn't fit. Exactly, and we we've seen it a million times. You know, I, someone said a few weeks ago, uh, you know, Justin Fields' game against Clemson was better than anything uh, Zach Wilson ever did. Listen to me. And arguably, I've heard many people say it, the, you can make a case that the greatest single-game performance in college football history was Vince Young in the national championship game against USC. Like, what did that do for him? Like, elite college players have great games. But they, sometimes they get to the pro level, and they just it doesn't work. And, you know, as I said last week or whenever I, I said it recently, I, I, would, love, I would love an in-depth study on like the anatomy what makes a guy a bust you know we you know we talked i talked about guys you know jonathan sullivan with the burgers some of these guys you have to figure alex and maybe i'm wrong here but if you're in the nfl there's a very 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 good chance that you've always been from every single year you've played football you've been either the best player on your team by a wide margin or at the very worst when you get somewhere, like if you go to an Alabama or an Ohio State, you're like a top five guy on the roster. Like you've never, you, you've just been so much better than anyone you've ever played against. Well, maybe when that, maybe, maybe that 10, 12, 13 years of being the big man on campus at all times, maybe the first time an NFL safety drops his shoulder into your chest and lays you out, that's something you've never experienced. And that guy who was fearless over the middle in college, isn't so fearless anymore. 
because he's never got his, you know, ne- never had his head almost taken off. And the level of competition goes up, and some guys cower. I wish I could remember who it was, Alex. Um, I was watching an interview, and this is not that long ago. I want to, I don't know, it may have been Mike Westhoff, whoever it was, the former NFL coach. He didn't give the name of the player, but they were talking about guys who bust and whether or not a guy has what it takes to make it. And it may, it may have been Westhoff. He said there was one year he was with a team. It was training camp. And on like day two, by day, maybe day one, day one or two of training camp, their second round pick did a couple of things where the coaches all looked at each other and they were like, this guy's not going to make it. How did we draft this guy? And he didn't. He, he was cut. Like, they hung on to him for a little bit. I don't think it was Christian Hackenberg, by the way. Um, you know, they hung on to the guy for a year or two, tried to develop him, but, but they knew. They knew day one, day two. This guy's not an NFL player. But what we saw in college, on film, pro day, combine, all looked fantastic. Then they got him out there and watched him against other NFL players, and they all, all the, the coaching staff just looked at each other and went, this guy's a wasted pick. And they were right. Like, you can't predict these mm. things. Um, yeah. yeah, and I, I didn't mean to go too, off, too far off base there, but um, all the draft talk and, to me, like the criticisms and the here's why this guy's going to make it and here's why this guy's not going to make it. And I do it too sometimes. Um, but I think, uh, I think some of the, the, the excuses that people reach for, um, and as I've said, even being, you know, team Wilson over team fields, I'd be happy to have fields. I just have that little worry of like, here's, there's a very important thing they need him to do. And we don't know if he can do it. Um, and if he can, they're, they're going to be a top three team. So great. But if he can't, then you're, you're back to the drawing board in a couple of years. So. Back back to top choices. This will overlap a little bit. We'll hear some of the same names, but uh, yep. go ahead and uh, go ahead and kick us off here, Alex. We're gonna do. Yep. This is like an hour guys thing, right? Am I am I right? How you wanted to do that? Yeah. So this will you know we can just go with our top top five guys that you know our favorite guys, and and this was really really difficult for me. So I guess we could do it in reverse. Um, and I, and I see that, you know, it's saying that our, our time is coming to an end here, but I think we can keep rolling here after the fact um, without any issues. But, um, yeah, let's start with the top. You know, we'll start with five and work our way down to our number one guy. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, you know, I had Devontae Smith here as my number five, but I kind of felt like uh, he's been talked about a lot, Heisman, you know, trophy winner and everything like that. Um, and he is one of my favorite receivers in this class, but there's somebody else that is just kind of, I just keep going back to and watching more and more of, and it's Amari Rogers, the slot receiver out from Clemson. Um, one of the strongest guys in the class, I think he had around 24 bench press, um, reps. And, uh, you know, if you look at him, he's very dense, built like a Buick reminds me a lot of like kind of the physicality of what you would expect from like a Jarvis Landry, now, I know I'm, I'm setting the bar very high here. I'm not saying that that's his comp, but I'm just saying that with the way he plays it um, and his body build, you know, he's not one of those smaller slot guys that, you know, have to duck underneath the contact when he's working over the middle. He's one of the guys that the linebackers and safeties might have to be worried about, you know, getting the hit from rather than giving it to. Um, and somebody that I just felt that didn't look great, you know, the first couple of years because there were so many good players in Clemson. But last year he got the opportunity to shine and, you know, over a thousand yards, seven touchdowns. And, 
just an absolute nightmare working over the middle. So Amari, Amari Rogers is my number five. Oh, so you want to go five? You want to do – we each do our five, we each do our four. You want to do it that way? Oh, you want to go back and forth, or do you want me to go through my list? No, that, that – yeah, that. sorry, we didn't discuss that ahead of time. I I, I thought we, we were going to run through our five, but that, that's fine. You can uh, – if you want to – like, I'll give my five now, my, my number five. Sure. Okay, yeah. So I'm – basically, I'm, I'm sort of trying to – you know, I don't just want to – I'm just going to go with the five guys that I think would fit – the guys who I think will be on the board realistically makes no sense to just list the, the top five ranked players on every website, which is kind of taking an easy way out. But uh, I'm going to have a couple of teammates on my list, actually, though. Alex, uh, my number five, I'm going with Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn, arguably the fastest guy in the class, a guy that I've watched. I've watched quite a bit of Auburn this year, uh, this offseason, because cause I really like him um, and I really like uh, his teammate, Seth Williams, who there goes that he'll be on my list as well. But I'm starting with Schwartz, super explosive guy, runs in the four threes, uh, probably really suffered from not having the best quarterback play. And oddly enough, again, maybe they're just wrong, but I consistently see him mocked as like a third, fourth, anywhere between round three and five. And I just think with his production and his speed, major program, not a great quarterback, like I would think he would be minimum uh, third rounder, but the experts seem to feel like he's a three, four, five guy. So uh, I like Anthony Schwartz as my number five. Nice. Okay, so number four for me, somebody we talk about all the time, Zayvon Collins, um, crazy versatile linebacker out of Tulsa, um, you know, mostly known for that pick six that he made in overtime to to walk off and win the game. Um, I think he's a plug-and-play guy, perfect fit for our 4-3, and does a little bit of everything. Can drop in the zone. Um, pick up a back or a tight end. Um, you can have him pin his ears back and, you know, smash up in between the gaps or come over, come around the edge and give you a, and a pass rush occasionally and um, absolute monster stuffing the run. So Dave and Collins just uh, never get bored watching any of his film. All right. That will save us a significant amount of time. Alex, I misunderstood. I thought you wanted to do the top five at each position, um, which would have taken – another several hours, but I was like, all right, I'm up for it. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, good. That, that does simplify things. In that case, um, Schwartz would be my fifth receiver. He wouldn't be my fifth player in the class uh, for my fifth player in the class. I would go with a guy who, again, I've mentioned many times over uh, mentioned, I'll, I'll go with my five and four right now. Uh, my five would be Carlos Basham who, um, mm-hmm. you know, really not much left for me to say about him. I've talked about him at length. I think he's just. I think he can be a really, really good player, um, and I'll, I'll go with the guy who I talked about earlier, uh, Walker Little. I think the guy is um, an elite left tackle. I think, as I said, I think he would be a top ten left tackle if he had played last season and and sort of continued to develop. Uh, you know, if he picked up where he left off from his previous full season uh, to last year. So I, I think he's a top ten player and an elite position, so I'm going with him at four. Nice. Okay, so number three um, is Trey Lance. Um, You know, it's funny, today I tweeted about him, and people said, what? You're crazy, you know. Um, I don't know what it is. Every year I just kind of get these notions about certain players, um, and, you know, there's mixed reviews about them, and I feel like Trey Lance is this guy. Um, I just think he has the it factor. 
Um, I know that there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical of where he played from. Um, you know, he only had one game in 2020, and that was, you know, statistically his worst game, even though he ended up with three touchdowns in that game and only one pick. Um, but throughout his career, which is very short, um, you know, this guy had 42 touchdowns, one fumble, and one interception in his career. So he understands that you got to protect the football. He doesn't turn it over a lot. Um, dual threat, uh, you know, just a phenomenal runner. He's got running back legs on a quarterback body. Um, he's got absolute hose for an arm. I mean, you know, he can just launch it 50, 60 yards with ease. Um, you know, he ran a pro-style offense and had a lot of, you know, uh, duties as far as, you know, O-line protection things and, and call-outs. So for a true freshman, you know, that's what, it, you know, I tweeted that the other day. What impresses me is that he's doing so many things that you would expect from a quarterback that has a few years of experience under his belt, and he was doing that year one for him. So uh, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. If you get him in the right system, the right coaching, um, I think that, you know, if I was to give him a comp, I think that he would be easily comparable to uh, a Josh Allen um, and, you know, where the modern-day football is going, I feel like dual-threat quarterbacks are going to be the theme moving forward, and I think Trey Lance is going to be a superstar. Probably not year one, but like I said, right team, right fit, right right system. I think the sky's the limit for Trey Lance. Yeah, tons of upside for Lance. The thing that worries me, and I'm sure I've mentioned it on here, uh, you know, before I'd watched any of him, the, the one of the knocks I read on him was, um, and we've talked about this, was the fact that, North Dakota State basically only asked him ever to read one side of the field. Um, and so I looked for that when I, I, I watched two or three of his games. And that and I don't know if it stood out to me because I was expecting to see it, but it was mm-hmm. there. Like you know, literally just focusing on him, waiting to see him go through progressions and scan from one side of the field to the other, and it just never happened. It was, he, you know, he, he'd scan either the left or the right side. Um, and, you know... As, as you said, I mean, the guy's absolutely electric when he run, takes over the ball. He's one of those guys. He's, he's, I look at him the same way. I, I feel like every year in the draft there are a couple of guys who I look at and go, I don't want him on my team, but I don't want him in my division either. Because um, right. like, you don't know what he's going to be, but you know what he could be. Um, I felt that right. way with Lamar Jackson. I remember a couple years ago that's, I tweeted out. I, I still remember the tweet because I, I was so blown away by the physicals. I said the same thing about Mike Kosicki. Of course, he ends up in the division. But I'm watching Mike Kosicki, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, that guy's going to be hard to cover if he ever puts it together. Like, he didn't have a ton of college production, but the guy was like a volleyball player that was like, oh, I'm going to take up football. And, like, within a few years, he's a draft prospect, and he can jump out of the gym, and he's already 6'6", or whatever he was. And I'm just looking at Kosicki going, I hope someone takes him before the Jets do because I don't want them to take him because he'll be a bust if they do but I don't want someone in the division to take him because you can just see the tools are there to be elite. And that's how I feel with Trey Lance. They don't ask him to do yep. enough that I can look at him right now and say he will be elite. But while I think he is more explosive than Josh Allen, I, I feel the same way I did about Josh Allen. I still remember being at training camp one year. It was, I think it was the first camp after the draft and, just kind of shooting the breeze with some of the Jets folks, you know, some of the, some of the team, couple of the team employees. And, you know, somebody there was like, oh, Bill's like Josh Allen, it's hilarious. Uh, and I, I was kind of yeah. on the fence. I was like, I was like, Who's I get, now? 
<laughs> I was like, I yeah. Well, I, I said at the time, I said, I said, look, I get the kind of laughing at the guy, but the tools are there. Like if they develop this guy the right way, like I don't see how you would look at Josh Allen and think, oh, he'll never be a threat. Like I can, I I can see how you would look at it and say it's a long shot that he'll ever be a threat. That I could get on board with. But he wasn't a dude, I, and I, I'm sure I made fun of him on Twitter, you know, being a smartass and, and joking a little bit. But I always felt like, uh, like that that guy, if he puts it together, he's got, he can be something special. Um, and that's how I feel about Trey Lance. Like again, the the lack of of what they ask him to do is worrisome, but the physical tools are so encouraging. So yeah, definitely a guy I really like there. Um, next guy for me, number three. It's a guy, really, when the Jets, as as you know, Alex, when the Jets beat the Rams and they were out of Trevor Lawrence running, this was the guy I said they should go for, and, and I'm going to go with a second offensive tackle here, uh, Penny Sewell. I know that people are saying that, you know, Rayshon Slater and other guys have passed him. I just think Sewell's the better player. I think he's been considered the better player for a while now. Uh, he'd be a top three guy in this class for me. He would be uh, my number three. Uh, Penny Sewell out of Oregon, I think, is going to be a dominant left tackle for, for years to come. And, you know, whoever gets him, I think, uh, to me, Cincinnati makes the most sense. Um, but we'll see. I don't know where he lands. So that uh, goes so back to you, Alex. you mentioned that. Yeah, I'm so happy what? you mentioned the Cincinnati thing because, you know, a lot of people were, you know, in a Sam Darnold sticking with the Jets, or, um, you know, uh, universe, let's say. Um, Seoul seemed like the, the right thing to do at number two for us. So now people are saying, okay, now he's definitely going to Cincinnati. Think about it. There was a player that connected with uh, the quarterback over there, Joe Burrow, that compiled one-third of his touchdowns in his final year, and that was Jamar Chase. Mm -hmm. How would you not want to take, if the opportunity presents itself, to put those two back together? Yeah. I mean, that's it's something that That's could a happen. Good point. Uh, you know, uh, crazier things have happened on draft day. So, um, Sewell definitely sounds like a very good fit for, for the Bengals and they've had some O-line issues and things like that. But, uh, man, I, I, I'm just curious if they're, you know, looking at Jamar Chase and saying, Hey Joe, you want to get back together with your old uh, teammate from LSU? And you know, he'd probably say like, bring it on, you know, but, um, all right, so now we're moving to number two, somebody that I have already talked about tonight, and um, this is Richie Grant, um, safety out of UCF. Uh, you know, it was just one of those things where safety was not on my radar, and I was watching film one day, and YouTube kind of went on its own little thing, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm watching this Richie Grant kid, and I'm like, wow, you know, this kid can really play. And, you know, this was all prior to um, the Jets getting Joyner and, and signing Bennett Jackson. And I'm sitting there saying, you know, with the one-year deal you got with uh, Marcus May, and then you, you know, we don't know what Ashton Davis can provide to this team or if he's the type of guy that Salah wants for his defense. Um, but you bring in a kid like this and, you know, worry worry less about, you know, covering the tight end. Worry less about, you know, him going out and, and having to work in the slot or in diamond nickel packages to cover guys. Um, very rangy, um, very sound against the run. He can come into the tackle box and, and be disruptive. Uh, I think he's one of the best coverage DBs in this class. And um, 
I'd be a very happy uh, man if he ended up in, in, uh, you know, Gotham Green for 2021. I really can't see it happening kind of with the way things have unfolded. But, um, man, if you get a chance to watch Richie Grant, a lot of fun. A lot of fun to watch, and, and uh, my number two and my fight, my favorite five. Yeah, um, like I said, I don't want a safety, but I like a lot of guys in this class, and Grant's one of them. Uh, really good player, versatile guy, can do a lot of things well. Um, for me, number two guy, and man, he's just – this is a guy, Alex, I hate to say it, but he's going to be in the division – and that is Kyle Pitts, um, tight end yeah. out of Florida. And he's going to be teamed with Mike Gesicki. I think the Dolphins grab him. I think Pitts yeah. and Gesicki will be matchup nightmares for years to come. Not looking forward to that. Nauseous. Oh, man. I mean, I don't know. I mean, listen, I watched, um, I watched Florida uh, versus Kentucky a few weeks ago, and the guy I mentioned earlier, Kelvin Joseph. Kelvin Joseph, number one corner for Kentucky. He's their, he's their cornerback one. And in the first quarter, Kyle Pitts just smoked him for a touchdown. And I'm watching this thinking, this dude is a tight end, embarrassing this school's cornerback one, um, and he's probably going to be a Dolphin. And I think he is going to be a Dolphin. And <laughs> that's why you might need to take Caleb Farley. Like, who the hell is going to cover this guy? But Gesicki and Pitts, right. Pitts is a beast. Um, uh, yeah, I just hope the Dolphins don't take that guy. I really do. But yeah, he's my yeah, number Pitts two. Pitts is he, one of those guys. A... He should always he, he should always make the top ten list of favorite players from this prospect um, from this draft class. Because yeah. I mean, he's just so much fun to watch, and I think he's got that Marcus uh, Colston kind of career path where he kind of starts as a as a tight end, and then, you know, somebody kind of converts him into, uh, you know, a jumbo wide receiver. And, and then he's a nightmare for smaller corners and, and safeties that have to come over and cover him. I probably are saying, oh, crap, not this guy again, you know. Um, right. Because he just does so many good things well. And, you know, as far as blocking, you know, um, he can block. Um, I think a lot of people are critical on him. Uh, but I don't think he's somebody that, you want to just exclusively put him in the inline position. I think that you would be not getting all the the greatness that 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 is within him. You know, just by putting him as an inline guy. You know, you gotta you gotta get him out in space and 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 do what he did when he was in Florida. But um, all right. So uh, are we up to our last one here? This is the number one. Yeah, number one. Okay. So my number one favorite prospect out of this draft class. Um, the, the one position that you've talked about a couple times tonight that you don't want the Jets to do, uh, my guy is Najee Harris. Um, I, I know he played for the best team in the um, NFL, uh, the, in college football, and he had a great O-line and everything like that. But, um, you know, like you said earlier, these guys can't, you know, choose who they play against or who they play with. Um and to be honest with you, in order to be on the Alabama team, you have to be a hell of a football player. So that's kind of what I feel he is. He has power. He has speed. Um, great hands. Uh, I think he caught over like 80 receptions for like 11 touchdowns throughout his career. Um, you know, 3,800 yards on the ground, 46 scores for him. You know, 
he just basically did what he wanted on the field. And I, I like what he does as a receiver probably more so than what he does as a runner because, um, you know, as this league develops and, and running backs have to do more than just carry the ball, um, you really it really helps a lot to have somebody that can um, be a threat and, and, and get out in space and, and cause mismatches. And, and I think Najee Harris is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, well, uh, I've I've said it before. Um, even though I don't want a, a, a running back in round one, and I still don't, um, my my favorite guy in the class is a running back, and I've said it before. Kenneth Gainwell. Um, he's yeah. not the uh, he's not getting all the love as a top five, top ten guy, and I'm not saying he belongs in that that level, but he's that sort of you know that running back who who can line up anywhere. I, you know, I've, I've, I'm like a broken record with this guy. You can line him up in the slot. You can line him up in the boundary. He can, he's not afraid to run inside. He's fast enough to run to the outside. Ran a 4-4-2 at his pro day. Um, and I'm, unfortunately, I'm kind of, I've taken him in each of the first couple mocks, and I think I said previously he will be, he will be a jet in every mock draft I do um, this, this offseason, including 3.0, which will be coming up in a couple of weeks. But I think I'm moving off that a little bit, Alex. Um, more and more, I just feel like he's going to go top 70, top 50. Um, and I just, um, I don't, like, I think about grabbing him at 66. But I got to yeah. stay true to, true to what's, what's right to build this team. And um, I don't know. I, I don't know that I'll take him again. But I just, I, you know, I, I like the stories of, you know, the undersized guys who aren't supposed to be able to play this game. Sort of like... Uh, um, like Darren Sproles types, not that type of player, but guys you look at and go, how is this guy in the NFL? Um, and I think yeah. he's going to be – he's actually – I want to say he measured in his pro day, like way smaller than I thought. Um, I thought he was like a 5'10 guy. Um, he checked in at 5'8", which was really surprising wow. to me, just because the, the plays he makes at wide receiver, he does not look like a 5'8 guy. Um, I, that's, I, I'd be shocked if that's accurate. But even still – like I said, nothing he can't do. Runs inside, runs outside, lines up on the slot, lines up on the boundary. Um, kind of viewed as a, a you know, top, top three rounds guy. And I think he definitely goes in the top three rounds. He's not, he's not making it past, you know, 96 or whatever. So, unfortunately, I, I'm starting to second guess whether or not the Jets should take him. But I think he's a lot of fun to watch, and he's a guy that I'll be rooting for. You know, and as we wrap up here, I think it's so funny how things are fabricated on the, um, I don't know if it's the websites or if it's what the, you know, the uh, college schools are putting out there for the measurables of certain players. Like, you know, uh, I think Rashad Bateman was like six foot four, six foot five. And then, you know, you find out he's like six, one and three quarters. Um, yeah, it's, it's you know, crazy, it, isn't it? And yeah, it's just kind of interesting how these numbers can, you know, drastically change. And um, and then when they, you know, end up going under the microscope, you, you find out all these, these real details of, you know, how much they weigh and how tall they really truly are. You know, you would have thought Baker Mayfield was five foot four, and then he comes in at like 5'11 and like 7'8". Yep. So, you know, call him a six-footer in, in cleats, um, you know, and – and apparently Devontae Smith that has 170 pounds is, you know, uh, next to Gumby. But, you know, there are players that are around 180 pounds that survive in this league. I mean, it's proven. So um, I just love, you know, how people kind of, you know, get along yeah. by certain things like that. And then, you know, they end up not carrying any weight whatsoever. 
Yeah, and you know, I just did a quick Google while you were talking there, Alex, because I, I just, uh, what did I say? I said I think he's 5'10", 5'11". Um, mm-hmm. I just Googled it. NBC Sports has a blurb on his pro day and says the, the 5'11", 201-pound back. So that, that, there is no way Kenneth Gainwell is 5'8". Um, yeah. NFL.com has him at 5'8", but NBC Sports has 5'11". I think if I watched him, I've watched enough of him that I would have been a little concerned if he was 5'8". Um, uh, he looks to me, like I said, I think 5'10", 5'11", and uh, 5'8", he is not. But still, my favorite guy in the class, but he's a guy who's not going to go – he's going to go a little too early for my liking. Um, but, you know, as I've said in the past, um, if you're going to get a guy – if the Jets took him at 66 and plan to use him as receiver and get him 40, 50 targets a year, I'm I'm fine with it. Because to me, you're getting – a versatile guy who plays two positions. You're not getting a running back. You're getting a running back slash wide receiver. That's what makes him worth it. I've said that about ATN, um, but I, I still don't like it at 23. But if you're going to take a back early on, get a guy who's a back slash wide receiver, and it's the versatility in the production makes it worth it um, as far as I'm concerned. But um, I think that wraps things up for us. Alex, uh, you got anything else? Yeah. I, I think we're good here. This is a good note to end on, and my God. Less than we're near two, less than what two weeks before the draft, so almost there, folks. Yeah. Hang tight. Yeah, let's get there. Are right, there will be no outro tonight? Uh, the uh, the main window, or are you in the studio, Alex? Yes, sir. All right, well, why don't you go ahead and uh, press that outro button? You take got care, it. Jeff. All right, Jets fans, have a good week, and let's go Jets as per usual. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!